This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time Podcast, friends. I'm your host, Erica, and today I'm chatting with Leslie Werner. Leslie is a beautiful writer who just published her first book, Invited, The Power of Hospitality in the Age of Loneliness. And let me tell you, this book is so well done, one of the best I've read in quite some time. After living in China for five years and traveling the world to a variety of other places, Leslie realized how different the West is when it comes to making people feel welcome and love. And that's just a little bit of the book. But what what I discovered is that it's no wonder there's a loneliness epidemic here in this country. There's so much that she covers about this. Uh, There's a lot that we could be doing to love others better. And Leslie talks about how she's living that out in her own life, even as a busy mom of three small kids who also just wrote a book um, in the midst of it all. I love talking with Leslie today about her world travels, how her life experiences have shaped who she is today, how she finds time to write as a mom, and so much more. There's a lot to learn and be inspired by in this episode. Enjoy this conversation with Leslie Berner. All right, Leslie. Well, thank you so much for joining the Worth Your Time podcast today. I'm so glad that we are connecting. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I guess, what are you doing today? What are What are you up to over there in Colorado? Um, well, I actually did another podcast interview this morning with a ton of technical difficulties where I monologued and then we found out that it wasn't recording. (laughs) Oh no. I've done a lot of talking to myself. Um, and my kids are in, two are in preschool. One's at, well, one's preschool, one's pre-K and one's in first grade. So we did all the drop-offs and I will pick them up. So that's kind of my exciting day. I don't think we have anything planned this evening. So so you're finally at that point where you actually get some alone time during the day. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yes. That's a little bit. Yeah. It's like three hours, two mornings a week, but I will definitely. It's something. Yeah. I was just telling you before we got on, I, um, I mean, it was kind of a mad dash to kind of piece together this morning for me just because, um, you know, my son is at preschool and then we just went to the YMCA with my daughter and I was like, I don't know if she's going to be ready to nap at noon, but I'm just going to pray that she is because I yeah. have to do it at noon because then I have to pick him up at one thirty, And so yep. I'm learning this new life about working around preschool and then, of course, being a stay-at-home mom, which is new yep. to my life. And um, yeah. just it's a lot of just like time management stuff. Yeah. Well, and then naps, my, my son just turned three yesterday. So he's in that stage where he still needs a nap, but he's not wanting a nap. And I've, for the past seven years, relied on naps. And naps, I'm like, so wait, important. what? What? You're not going to nap? So yeah. Although it's very liberating too, to not have to be limited to a nap schedule. That's I will true. Say. That is, that's so, true. And like, pros go, and cons. yeah, when your kids go to bed early or when they really need to nap, then you're kind of like, forced to stay home when you may not want to. So, um, I can tell that you're the kind of person that likes to get out and do things based on your book, which I want to talk about today. Um, so uh, speaking of being a mom, I wanted to actually bring this up. So isn't Mm -hmm. it funny sometimes when we look at our lives now, 
um, as moms and then think back to like all the things we were doing when we were single. And what I learned from your book, um, which, which is called Invited, The Power of Hospitality in an Age of Loneliness, is that you did a lot of world traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny sometimes to think like, what were we doing back then? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have those moments where, you know, you look back at that time in your life and then you you couldn't have imagined then what you'd be doing now? Well, that's why Facebook is interesting at times because it'll pop those pictures back to remind you. And recently a picture popped up from 2009. I think it was one of my first profile pictures. And I'm in a room dancing with a bunch of Chinese farmers, women, (laughs) women, you know, and I'm like, there's a picture of me dancing with them. And I'm like, what a different life. You know, I'm like out in the countryside in China dancing with strangers. And like, you know, now I'm got three kids and yeah, it's crazy. Life changes in a good way. Uh, but yeah. I, but speaking of your book, I did finish reading it a couple weeks ago and I have to say, wow, it was so well written. Um, as a fellow writer, I was just kind of really bathing in the beauty of your words. I mean, just Aww, the way that you. you wrote it so elegantly and so expertly because you know, they're there are a lot of books that get published and sometimes they are published um, because mm-hmm. people have a very large following on Instagram or something like that. Yep. And those books, sometimes I put down and I think, I'm not sure that that was worth right. my time. Yeah. Um, but I cannot say that about yours. It was just, I mean, you're such a, a beautiful writer. And I thought every word was just put right in its place. And um so congratulations on doing Thank that you. I so well. Very, very hard. So how long <laughs> did it take you? Out of me, you know. <laughs> how long did it take you to write it? Yeah, I was talking about that to someone about that. It's very hard to answer that question because I feel like these stories were marinating for years and years. And so, you know, I, you know, door to door from the time I wrote my book, pu- pu- sorry, book proposal until it got published was two years. So you know, I wrote it within a year, you know, because I wrote it and I had beta readers and then I rewrote it and then I had a few more beta readers and then I rewrote it and had an editor. So, you know, it's a lot of rewriting. um, How do you get get. beta readers? You know, I asked friends who are writers and, you know, and I acknowledge that, you know, I'm like, this is a big ask, but um, would you be willing to read my book and tell me what I can delete? tell me what you liked. And um, I just kind of thought through who my reader might be. And I asked, you know, some writer friends, I asked one friend, a couple friends, actually, who are just they're not writers, but they're readers. Uh, And so I knew that they were, they would be able to read it critically. And I offered to print it out for them and mail it to them. So I actually had it bound for a few friends and uh, mailed it to them. Well, I'm like, if they're willing to do this for me, and so, and then, yeah, a couple of friends literally like mailed it back. They, they read it, you know, and marked it up, marked it up and then sent it back. So did you end up changing anything real significant based on that? Yeah, I did. Especially a few of them because I was writing about culture sometimes and writing, I wasn't writing about racial things, but I wanted to get the culture stuff right. And not, I did, I wanted to be really careful not to be making stereotypes or, generalizations. And so I made sure I included some people who, some friends who like have more cross-cultural experience or who, you know, came from families that were not like white. Mm -hmm. And um, just to help me see some of my own blind spots. Yeah. That was important for me. So some of those things I did change, like a friend was like, ah, she's Indian. And she was like, this description, she, you know, the way I described a certain person, 
I didn't know it, but she said, but when you describe people in this culture in this way, they are offended. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't have known that. That's so, so smart of you to do that. Um, so what, what is the kind of when, when someone says, oh, what's your book? What, what's your book about? What do you say? What's your like one sentence or my elevator thesis? Pitch. Yes. Uh, so I usually say, um, my book is about what I learned about hospitality uh, when I lived in China for five years and about how other cultures often practice hospitality more organically and naturally than we in the West often do. So my book is about more than that, but it's, you know, a lot of it stemmed from observing how other cultures do practice hospitality and then wanting to absorb some of that into my life and, um, you know, hopefully helping others to to value relationships over tasks and um, but also recognize that we're probably doing a lot more than we realize. So that's not one sentence, but <laughs> yeah, no, no, that makes sense. I mean, I think sometimes when people hear hospitality, they can think of a hotel or, oh, yeah. this just means like having a guest over for dinner one night, but it's so much more than that. As you write about, did you come up with any other, this is kind of putting you on the spot, but did you come up with any other words that you think are, what else means hospitality? Yeah. So I really actually debated using that word hospitality because I found that people have very strong reactions to mm. the word hospitality and they either love it and they're like, oh, you know, like those people are usually maybe more extroverted or they love cooking or they love decorating or, but like a lot of people really feel uncomfortable with the word hospitality. And, um, I pulled people in fact, and I said, would you rather read a book about hospitality or community? And like 70% of people said community. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, I wanted to use the word hospitality cause I wanted to redefine it and help people reframe hospitality and realize that it's not just about, you know, how, like the pictures that you see. I, I purposely was like, I don't want a picture of a beautiful table on my cover with lots of amazing food or the like lights hanging or, you know, I'm like, I don't want that because that's how people think of hospitality. And they immediately are like, Nope, I can't do it. I'm out. And so I wanted to kind of redefine it. And um, yeah, so hospitality is so much broader. And I forgot what your question was. But I no, oh, just if you had any other words for the word yeah, okay. hospitality. Yeah, so I think welcome. Like I, I kind of wanted to use, we even debated using the word welcome uh, in the title. The word hospitality in Greek in, you know, in the Bible means love of strangers. And so I even, I like, kind of thinking about how we can love strangers. Uh, I don't know, like a great word for that. I, actually, there's a, a, a chapter in my book called um, Stranger Love. And I wanted to use that in the title, but th they were worried. They were like, that, <laughs> like, that could be weird. That could, like creep people out, you know? <laughs> so yes. they were like, no, but they, I got away with using it as a chapter title. So um, yeah. So I think welcome is like, just a great one. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of your book, or part of it at least, is based on when you lived in China, I think, for five years. And you talk about how um, sometimes Americans say, oh, make yourself at home. And mm -hmm. I thought that was really um, interesting. I'd never heard it put this way. Americans mm -hmm. say make yourself at home. But when you're in another country like China or, or maybe another um you know, non-Western country. It's not make yourself at home. It's like, let us make you feel like a queen. Let us put you on a pedestal yeah. and feed you the best food and give you the best bed. And I did, could you put your finger on like, why, why is there that difference? Like, why is some, are some cultures so much more, 
I guess, welcoming and empower, not empowering, but just like lifting up of their guests. I don't, I really don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's, it really is just cultural differences. I mean, if you start studying culture, you know, the West is in general more individualistic and more independent and we value that. And then, and yet, you know, most Eastern cultures, they value the community and the relationship over the individual. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just stems from this, you know, cultural differences. And, um, you know, and it wasn't comfortable for me a lot. Like when I went to, I visited a lot of my students' homes in the countryside and I, you know, they'd invite me over, I'd stay for the weekend and they would just be feeding me constantly, which sounds amazing. But if you're full, and someone forces you to eat more food. It is not amazing. Like it's very uncomfortable, you know? And so I remember one mom came out, the mother of one of my students, and she came out with this plate piled high with like dumplings, Chinese dumplings, which are so good. And normally I love them, but it was 10 PM and I was full and I wasn't used to eating at 10 PM. And, but there was this expectation that I should still eat it because she had made it for me and I was the guest. And I was like, I just wanted to cry. (laughs) I remember because I was just like, I'm just full and I just want to sleep, you know. And so I think it's hard. It can be hard to receive um, hospitality when you are in another culture, you know, even though it, it can, we can really romanticize it and idealize it. But the truth is, it actually can be pretty uncomfortable. So part of serving them and loving them was allowing them to serve me in a way that I didn't feel served. So anyway, so I, I, I did struggle with that in the book. I didn't want to idealize other, you know, cultures and be like, it's perfect over there. And we're so flawed over here. I think each culture has, um, something that they can offer to hospitality or to loving others that, you know, I think it's best if we can learn from each other. Well, I can't imagine how some, some people feel coming over to the United States because uh, you wrote about interna- most international students will never enter the, ho- the home of an American while they're here, which is pretty unbelievable because especially mm-hmm. coming from a place where they would probably be extremely welcoming of, of us over there to never be invited. I can imagine it feels very lonely and, and almost mm-hmm. like um, you're being outcast in society um, yeah. by not being invited. And and it also brought up a really fun memory for me because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, my grandma, who is like, you know, she was like an angel on earth, like the best person mm-hmm. ever. Um, she had a ministry like the one you talked about and it wasn't a ministry. It was literally just a thing that she did. It wasn't even, you know, you talk about like, we don't have to call things like they don't have to have titles. They don't have to, yeah, it doesn't have to be a program. It doesn't have to be like in a bulletin or something like it can Mm -hmm. just be something you do. And every single Sunday when I was a kid, she would have college students over. We, we, I grew up in a college town and I would go over there because I was like seven or eight and I would go to church with her and there'd just be all these like college kids over at my grandma's house. And I never recognized what it was she was doing. I didn't know until I was older. And I'm like, man, that's like such a big thing that she did. And just because she wanted to make people feel loved. And many of them were international students. One of them became my uncle. Um, oh, actually, wow. actually, two of the students became my uncles because no my aunts married them. <laughs> Maybe One, she had an, like, an alternate agenda there. <laughs> yeah, I think she definitely did, <laughs> partially. But it was such a beautiful way to be hospitable. And, and yeah. another thing I note about that um, is that her husband had nothing to do with it. Like, he mm-hmm. was not interested in doing that. He was not into it. 
Um, but she did it anyways. And I think sometimes we, um, and I'm kind of going on a tangent, but I'm going to get there. I promise. Sometimes we, as someone that is married to a person that has a lot of different interests than me, sometimes it's easy to use that as an excuse to not do Mm. things. Well, my husband's not into it or, you know, that's not going to work for my family. But what I love about your book is that you find ways to work around that. It doesn't have to be the traditional, like, oh, we're going to have, you know, different families over for dinner every Wednesday. Like, it doesn't have to be that. So I guess, um, can you talk about some of the ways that people can be hospitable that maybe are not what the, uh, I guess, stereotype would say they are? Yeah. I mean, I I think a lot of it is just following your own passions and interests, you know, like what your grandma did, like she enjoyed that. And so she did it. And it's just a matter of inviting someone along to what you're already doing and um, in making it so that it's not so uncomfortable or something that you dread because then you're never going to do it. So I, you know, I think um, like one of my friends and I talk about her a little bit in the book, she is a full time nurse. And so she doesn't have you know time to volunteer at her kid's school, really. But um, she's in, she's she invites her kids which I can do this, but she does it. And I think it's great. Um, but she invites her kids, um, classmates over like several times a year. So, and it, it's usually like the same sex. So the girl, if she has a daughter, she invites all the girls in the class over for just like snacks. And I think they just play and hang out, but that way she gets to meet the kids. Um, because she, she doesn't have time to volunteer at the school, but she invites, she meets the kids and she meets some of the parents and things like that. Um, or, this friend is particularly hospitable, so I'm going to use her again. But, you know, or if your kids are in a sport, you know, invite the parents and the kids over. So, but that's kind of big scale, which is why I say it's not as much for me because I'm, I like more of the one on one or a couple moms or a couple, you know, neighbors or things like that. So I, I think that we can just look at our schedules, um, maybe delete a few things from our schedules and, you know, maybe don't sign our kids up for all the, you know, 1800 activities that we feel like they should and reserve a bit of our, of our time. And then just step back and think like, what do I, what do I already enjoy? And then who can I invite to do that thing I already enjoy with me? So I think that's really um, specific to certain individuals and what every individual enjoys doing. So, yeah. And I mean, it's not, I think it's important to point out what you write about is hospitality and compassion and generosity of, you know, how we care about people is not reliant on like, oh, well, if you feel hospitable, then you can be hospitable. It's really, as Christians, mm. especially, mm-hmm. um, it's, mu- it's much more than that. It means, I mean, I think we're addicted to our comforts. I mean, I am <laughs> like, yeah. we yeah. like our evening schedules. We like our food the way we like it. Um, mm-hmm. we like to know that we have a solitude, you know, squared away here and there. And we don't want people to interrupt our schedules or our lives just the way that we want them. But I always go back to this Bob Goff quote about being a Christian means being inconvenienced and letting, letting go of our comforts. Um, I just read in a, I'm reading this book, maybe you've heard of it called, um, Grumpy Mom Takes a Holiday. Oh, no. uh, It's by 
uh, this girl, her name is Valerie Warner. She's kind of known in the, in the kind of Christian writing world. But anyways, the yeah. chapter I just read is about letting go of our expectations for comfort in our lives. Because mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. let go of your expectations for comfort, then you can much more easily embrace other things that are going to interrupt you or come along. You know, you write with the commitment to hospitality comes the sacrifice of comfort and control. And so don't know what I'm asking, but do you have anything further to say about <laughs> How do you that? Do that? <laughs> yeah, because because I think people are just I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, selfish. I mean, we're we're all selfish, but especially as Christians, I mean, we have to stop and be like, what can I change to invite other people in because what really matters? Other people and showing them God's love. Well, and I think that's where the loneliness component comes in too because we are so concerned with our comfort and with our privacy and, you know, our me time. And then we feel lonely, you know, and then we wonder why. Or we feel jealous of the people we see on social media and we see that they're, it seems that they are having community and relationships that we're not having. But I think some of it does come when we are willing to set aside our, yeah, our comfort in our, you know, actually the working title for my book initially um, when I, when I first like made a list of all the things I would love to write about three years ago was the discipline of discomfort. And Ooh. that doesn't sell very well. I don't Nobody think likes the word discipline. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I, I do think, you know, so a lot of it actually came out of that, um, that idea of like, it's a discipline to, to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable, but the reward is so amazing, you know, that I think we we're, we don't see what's on the other end of that discomfort to realize at the end, the other end of it is we will be less lonely. We will have deeper relationships. We will um, feel more satisfied with our communities. But I think that it requires us being willing to be uncomfortable. And um, yeah, that's not easy <laughs> in our society. And I, I don't, I don't, you know, my, in my book, I go into, I think a bit more of like how we do that, but it is a constant struggle for me too. So I don't feel like I've arrived at that. It's always just kind of this, like, maybe I should try this. And then I fall back and I'm like, no, but I like being comfortable, but I'm lonely, <laughs> you know? So it's just kind of this, I'm still learning. You well, know? it's a discipline and a habit. I mean, I think the more that you start doing it, the easier it becomes to yes. kind of learn to to know how and to mm-hmm. kind of make it work for your life. Um, and also, I think it's important that we're, I mean, this is so obvious and cliche, but to be listening to God, I mean, you have a story yeah. in there about, uh, yeah. I think you encountered a family that, and God told you to go give them food or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes like, that feels weird. Like if you yeah. hear that small voice inside your head saying like, mm-hmm. just go do this thing. And you're like, I don't want to do that. Like, that's weird. Like what if they think, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like, there's a reason that we get those urges and it's because, yeah. um, God knows better than us. God, God knows the, mm-hmm. the whole story. And, right. um, I just imagine someone that mm-hmm. that we don't follow through on that. I just imagine what the consequences of that could be. Not that, you know, we hold destiny in our hands, but just no, that but like, we what have an opportunity. What relationships are we missing out on? Right. And we're not willing to slow down and listen and then move into that thing we feel like we're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, we miss out. Mm-hmm. You kind of touched on this. Um, you know, everybody talks about Enneagram, personality tests. Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? And I do mm-hmm. think people use that in ex- as an excuse 
sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you see that? And um, how do you see it as potentially being a problem? Yeah. So in the book, I have a chapter called Solitude. And I ask the question, like, I, I sometimes wonder if God has different expectations for for people who identify as introvert or extrovert, extrovert, you know, like, is there like a certain Bible, like, that applies to introverts only and only applies to extroverts? Or is it really the same message for all of us, regardless of our personality type? Um, and yet, I really do think God uses each of us to balance each other out. So I, you know, I'm married to an introvert, and um, I'm more extroverted, like I'm, I'm kind of depending on my job and, you know, stage of life, uh, I can be borderline, but like, I'm, I'm more extroverted. And so hospitality does come more naturally to me than to my husband, although he enjoys deep conversation and relationship. But, um, but I think that people do often use that as a cop out, like, well, I'm an, ext- I'm an introvert. And so, you know, I don't need to have people over. And yet I do think from talking to a lot of introverts, they introverts do long for connection. It's not like introverts don't want friends. It's just a different level of energy that you have. Um, and I think that it's important to provide, you know, introverts with a chance to refill because, um, you know, otherwise you'll never host if you, if you just keep depleting, you know, yourself, if you're an introvert or your spouse who's an introvert, um, you know, I think you need to just be aware of, the amount of time that you spend with people and try to be sure there's like a buffer on either end. So, so if people could do one thing to get started, if they read your book and they're like, you know, I really need to make this a priority in my life. Like what would you suggest the first step be to try to start incorporating this? Well, I think because we live in the West, we should pay attention to our culture. I think our culture tends to plan a lot more, not every person, but my Chinese students never planned anything like, and so I have a story in the book where they constantly stood me up because I was making a plan a week in advance and they didn't write it down. They didn't have calendars. And so I think, uh, because we live in the West, like just make a plan for yourself and decide what feels healthy to you and your family. Um, because I think if we plan ahead and reserve, like it could be like a night, a month, You know, like start super small. Don't be like, I'm going to invite people over every other day um, because we burn out and then it's just too much. And so just make a goal for yourself. Like um, I want to invite people over every other week. Um, Or like you said, it doesn't have to be inviting someone to your home. Just say, just say to yourself, like, or make a list of goals. Like I I want to, the next time I do this, you know, go to the park, I want to invite a mom to come with me or you know, if I'm single, I want to get to know these people outside my circle. So I think it's helpful to have a list of even people um, that, you know, like maybe some some people that you don't know that well that you want to get to know better that are kind of in your circles, but then make a list of like strangers, you know, some neighbors or, you know, a certain group of people in your city. Like our city has a ton of homeless people who are homeless. Um, you know, maybe that you, you feel kind of drawn to to, to help people in that way. And so make a list like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to look up a way to get involved in something that's already existing in my city. So I I think, I think if we can make a plan for ourselves, that will get us started. Yeah. And, and just being aware, I think, and listening to this conversation opens up your mind to then be seeing, you know, people that may need attention or people that you can invite and then praying about it and just praying that God opens your eyes to those needs because sometimes we are just going about our lives so quickly, so busy 
that we haven't even stopped to think about like what other people might need in that way because we're just so busy taking care of our families. But I don't think we should ever be too busy to, you know, be including other people um, that God puts in our life. And also you have this great list in your book. Uh, Did that go in the final version, that list? Yep. Okay. So she has this, uh, listeners, she has a list in the back of her book. Um, It's like three or four pages of just a million ideas. I mean, and you will find multiple things on there that you can do. So, um, yeah, get a copy of the book. I mean, you could get the book even just for that list. It would be, uh, yeah, would be, um, helpful. And I actually want to go through and kind of like start checking things off. So I, I thought that was really helpful. Yeah. And I talked to some friends for that. And so some of them are not all my ideas, but I'm like, that is so cool. Like people do, people are, a lot of people are practicing hospitality. So I don't want to say nobody's doing it in our country. Um, because some of these things from this list came from people who do these things. And I'm like, that is the coolest thing. I want to try that. So yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm so glad that this topic is, it's really making a, like, it's kind of trending right now, I guess, yeah. um, with yeah. a, a different books, um, kind of touching on it. Like, again, like you say, there are so many ways to approach it. Um, you mentioned, I think the turquoise table, um, mm. The gospel comes with a house key. I don't know if you mentioned that one, but that's another one that's out right now. Um, And they're all, you know, kind of approaching it from a different way. And so um, I love it. And it has certainly, the the movement of hospitality has been very inspiring to me lately and just Mm -hmm. really um, trying very hard to incorporate that into my life. So I want to ask you, though, about a couple other things. You also write and edit for She Loves um, and write on your blog and, and maybe a couple other places. So I would love to hear, um, what is your writing life like? Do you have a schedule or an agenda? And how did you learn to do it so well, most importantly? <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Well, I I actually just stepped down from editing at She Loves in March, but I did edit there for two and a half years. I, I feel like my writing story is like so many writers who are like, I've, I've just always written, you know, like I have journals that my mom, like I just, I just, shared stories with my mom and she wrote them down in my journal. So starting even before I could write, if you can see up here, I have like, you know, a huge shelf of journals. I'm like, what am I going to do with those? Cause there's so many and I'm only halfway through my life. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I do all these things. So I've just always written. And then I, I, you know, I've always been a reader. I love, you know, I used to walk around in fifth grade, you know, with just in the hallway with a book in my hand. So it's always just kind of been in my DNA. But um, then I taught, I was a teacher, I taught mostly middle school, and I loved teaching writing. And so I would teach writers workshops. And I felt kind of like that, you know, because people always say like, those who don't, what is what's the saying? Those who can't do teach. teach. (laughs) And and that's what I felt. I'm like, I, those who can't write, teach about writing, like, I'm like, I'm teaching about writing, but I'm not actually writing. But I knew it was kind of inevitable. And so once I had kids, I feel like uh, motherhood is often like a trigger, especially for women who, um, and especially for women who stay home right away. Well, I mean, you can, maybe you can answer to that because I know you worked. I don't know if you felt this trigger at the time, but it's often a trigger for creativity. And like women finally are like, okay, I'm a mom, but I also have this desire to paint or I also have this desire to start a business. You know, it's just somehow like cracks open this like new area of well, life. Well, I think, I mean, I don't know if this is true, but I think that maybe that's the case even more so for stay-at-home moms because 
you're going from the working world where your brain is constantly engaged to your brain is only engaging with children. And so that side of your brain that you were using for work um, is now open to something else. And I have experienced that since leaving my job. I mean, I have had the brain space. I keep saying it. I've had the brain space to come up with ideas for pitches and writing. Whereas I did not have that before. Like I would sit there and be like, I want to get published other places, but I literally do not have the time or space my brain to like be creative enough to come up with a unique idea that someone's going to accept. And I now have a whiteboard in my extra room that is just full of ideas Mm -hmm. that I now need to just like craft into pitches. And, um, it's, it's, it's kind of, cool. And I'm like, why didn't I do this earlier? Yeah, that I mean, that was my theory that women when they stop working, but you know, you still are, it's not like, you know, women talk about being bored, like I was never bored with a child at home, you know, but I think, yeah, it's like, suddenly, I just had space for creativity and all the things I had always wanted to do. And, And then it became this thing that I had to do. And so for me, writing became like, a you know, it was this compulsion, like, I can't not do this anymore. Like I've been doing my whole life. You know, I I was just talking to a friend yesterday who's like trying to decide if writing is a hobby or, you know, and I'm like, I've never thought of it like a hobby, you know, and I don't like to use the word calling lightly. Um, and, but like, that's the most that I can kind of equate it to. So do you, I'm curious, I I haven't talked to people, a lot of people about how they write, but are you much of a technical writer in that you're going back over, you're thinking about the rules of writing, you're changing according to what you've learned as a teacher um, and and things like that when you're editing your own writing. I could talk for hours and hours about writing, but I actually love talking about writing. But, um, you know, there's this whole idea of if you're a, what is it, a pantser or a, have you heard this before? I don't think well, so. I shouldn't talk about things that I'm, I for, I'm forgetting. It's just for a <laughs> plotter. It's a pantser or a plotter. And I didn't come up with this, but a pantser is you fly by the seat of your pants for your first draft and you just write or plotter is you plot it out and outline. And I thought I was more of a plotter, but I am not like I just need I'll have a rough outline uh, for the book. You know, I had a rough outline. I had my book proposal, obviously. Um, And then I just but I needed to just let it go. And I have a good friend that encouraged me to not you can't let your internal editor get in the way like you just have to write and I would tell myself every time I sat down to the right uh, to write and every time I I still sit down to write I tell myself two things I tell myself it's okay if it's terrible and no one ever has to read it because if I don't believe those two things then I will never start writing and so I just have to write and just tell myself it's okay I just have to get stuff out but that means someone like me it requires hours and hours and hours and headaches and sleepless nights of revising (laughs) and editing at the end. And so there was so many drafts of this book, you know, and I would, I would write a chapter, I would, I would do a chapter at a time, but I would print it out. And then I would highlight the verbs in it, highlight the nouns in it and ask myself if I could change those. What, what words could I delete? Like I, I, I attacked it after I wrote the first draft, but I couldn't do that as I went. I couldn't, you know. Yeah, I I have a huge problem with the internal editor thing, especially, you know, because I'm often writing these op-eds that have to be pretty short, and they are, you know, for 
like more kind of political newsy types of places. And sometimes mm-hmm. they have to be like 700 words. So that's very yeah. short, you know, and yeah. I get, will get tripped up in the first paragraph because yeah, the first paragraph is very important in an op-ed, of right. course. And, right. but like, I start getting obsessive over it when I start, because I'm like, oh, well, if I can't start with a strong foundation, then how can I move on? And I know that that is really the wrong <laughs> approach. Yeah. Um, did you ever have a moment where you thought, why am I doing this? I don't, I can't, you know, I don't have time for this. I have three little children. Yeah, no, I had so many moments. Um, so I wrote a blog post that you should read and anyone who wants to write a book and you've written a book, right? No, yes, I have, but it was probably not, it was different than most people because it was such over a, a very long period of time, but yes. Yeah. So I had so many moments, um, not of like, I don't have time for this, but is anyone like all the fears, all the imposter syndrome, the fear that no one would read it. And then the fear that someone would read it and then they would hate it. Or, you know, the fear that like all of that. I had so many moments where my husband would like take me by the shoulders, which let me just say first, he's a he, he's an actor and he has, he has gone through a lot of this like the feelings of like, is it worth doing if I'm not getting a lot of money for it? And he's come to the other side of it of yes. Well, I think that's, I mean, we don't even have time to get into that, but that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) But like he has been my biggest support. And so he would take me by the shoulders and I would be, you know, at times I would lose it and just be crying and being like, I can't do it. And it, you know, it's too hard. Like, I just, I can't do it. It's not it's not gonna be good. It's not, people are going to read it. And he would just take me by the shoulders and say, you can do this. (laughs) You can do it. I believe in you that you have something to say. You are good at writing. You know, he would just have to pour that into me every, you know, month or so, or every even few weeks and be, you just remind me like, this is something that, that I, I have to do. And also I am equipped to do. And I just have, I just have to do it. And so with the kids and stuff like that, like, uh, again, it was a compulsion. So it wasn't this, like, it wasn't an, it didn't feel like an option, honestly. It didn't feel like an option to not do it. And so I know that sounds weird. That sounds weird. But it doesn't, I, um, are you, somebody told me this, I, I want to say, I can't remember now. I'm not, I'm going to say the wrong person, so I'm not going to say it, but it's a, it's an author. And she told me don't write a book unless you can't not write it because otherwise Mm. it's going to like steal your soul if you try to make something happen that isn't meant to be. Um, And so I really, I thought that was good. And that is how I feel many times about things that I write, not just my book. That was a whole other, um, certainly a passion project, something I felt I was called to write, but with some of the other stuff that I'm writing, um, I feel like I have to write it. Like I feel like I can't not write it. And, and so it is a constant internal struggle with time. And Mm -hmm. that's what I was going to ask you is like, do you have regular writing time? How do you, how do you fit it in? Because writing isn't uh, something that you can be like, okay, I have an hour. I'm just going to check this off my list and get it done. It's like, it's like a very long process. And so, and for people that are maybe a little bit more type A, which I'm not type A, but like when it comes to writing, sometimes I feel like I, I am, um, it's, it's hard because you have so little control over your time at this point in our lives. Yeah. So, um, so I started blogging like four years ago and few months into, I can't remember, I need to go back and figure it out, but we did start paying a babysitter. I think it was only once a week for two hours to start. And I would write and blog and submit to places online and things like that. And then as time got 
went on, we, and you know, if we could afford it in our budget, we added, I think she came for three hours a week. And then, um, once I think it was just three hours a week. And then once I signed my book contract, we sat down and we're like, I don't think three hours a week is going to be enough <laughs> to write a book. But really we just upped it to four hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my kids were one, three and five when I signed my contract and mo- and wrote the bulk of my book. So I did it in four hours a week. And what I would do, you know, you write in your head. I mean, so you're writing all the other times I'm, you know, in making notes in the, you know, margins of your church bulletin. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's, it's, and so, so when I would sit down to write, I would go to, I finally found a place that I could write without distraction. And it was the quiet room at one, we have three different libraries. It was only one library had a quiet room. And that was the place I could get things done because I couldn't connect to the internet either. So I would just go in and just put my head down and just work for four hours, you know. And um, and then some Saturdays, my husband would, um, I would just go at, like early in the morning from like 6.30 to 8.30 or something mm-hmm. and write at, um, or do edits. You know, edits I can do kind of anywhere. Yeah, so that's I would just print, different. Yeah. You know, I would constantly be printing things out. So I would write, I would write, get a bulk written, then I'd print it out. And I mean, I remember doing that and like the line of Taco Bell, like I'd be like, and I'm editing my stuff as I'm waiting for our tacos, like in the line, you know, <laughs> or at my son's little soccer camp. I was on the lawn and yeah, that you know. almost feels like, um, a little more leisurely. <laughs> yeah. Because that's just kind of, for me, editing was kind of like, rethinking like one sentence or one word but like to write I need total silence Uh and I need time so I I will say I I found this abbey which I write about in the book a little bit um about 50 minutes north of us it's this beautiful place and it was cheap to stay there and they provide meals for you and you have your own room I mean it is amazing it's like a writer's paradise um so find yourself an abbey or a monastery (laughs) because a lot of those that you can do personal retreats and you don't have to go to the services. Um, ours had the kind of liturgy of the hours. You could go or not go. Um, but like that very last time when I, my edits were due, I stayed there and I worked all day. I had like post-its all over the wall. I slept in my clothes. <laughs> oh my I gosh. I, that's... Well, I was like full on. I had to turn this in like Monday and I, and I was making major changes to the very end. Like oh, I was, wow. yeah. So, um, Yeah, I don't know. I think you just find your rhythm. But I think for me personally, I need a little bit of a chunk of time, meaning more than an hour. And an um, hour is no you because like, you know, the pro I one thing I've learned in the past year, actually really started learning this from one of my previous podcast guests, my friend Lynn from high school, um, Mm -hmm. as we really got into talking about the creative process and what that looks like for people and how we have to be like kind and compassionate of our own individual creative processes. And that could mean for, for you, that could mean that the first 30 minutes of your writing time is not spent writing. Maybe it's spent setting up your writing space or like getting your coffee, but you have to just accept that that is what you need to get to the point to where you can get that stuff to come out of you because it is honestly writing sometimes is like magic. Sometimes when you are writing and you're in that zone, it's just coming out of you and you're like, I don't know where this is coming from. And I wish that I could make it happen all the time, but you can't. And so, um, it's hard to explain to someone that 
that doesn't do it, but you know, yeah, what I mean. and, and, and those, those magical moments can be things you end up not even using. I mean, that was what was frustrating to me. I'm like, I, I went to my parents, they live three hours away and they watched my kids during my son's spring break for like three days. And I wrote at the library there. Um, and I, I don't think I used any of what I wrote in those three full days. So it can feel a but lot. But it's start like, of the process too. You yes. Know? And so, you know, and I've heard writers, I think it was Neil Gaiman or someone, I listen to a lot of writers talking about their processes, but certain ones have said in their, I forget, it was someone famous, you know, who was like, I felt there were times I felt inspired and I, you know, I, it was just flowing. And then there were days when <clears throat> I didn't feel inspired. It wasn't flowing. It was like, you know, I pulling teeth, you know, I just, it, but I, but I sat down cause I'm a writer, you know, and, and I've heard other people say surgeons don't wait to feel inspired to do surgery. Like they, they just do it. And so, you know, I think if we always wait for the fire, like we're never going to write anything, but he, but this guy said, but when I read back through my manuscript, I couldn't tell what was written yeah, when I felt so, inspired uh-huh. and what wasn't. It, it was all the same, you know. Sometimes so, you can't tell. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and so I think we, if we wait for the inspiration and the fire and the those, then you know, I, I think we won't write as much. But I think if we just sit down, do the work, there, it's kind of like running, like because I'm a runner, like. Sometimes you get that runner's high and it's great. And then sometimes you don't like most of the time you're just running and you know, it's not like you're like feeling elated while you're running. It's just like, I just run cause I don't want to like get out of shape and have to get back into running shape. Like I just do it. And so I think writing a lot is that. Too. I just used that example last night. Actually, I went to hope writers meetup night last night. Oh yeah, me too. Um, yeah. So for those listening, um, Leslie and I are both part of this group called Hope Writers. And um, so that's how we met. And uh, and there was a meetup last night all across the country. So anyway, so once that, I use that example. And because I am currently training for a half marathon oh, okay. and um, have been a runner for years. And, you know, there's one day, the mar- half marathon is one day, but mm-hmm. I am not going to reach my goal for that if I don't slog it out on those days where I feel horrible and I, you know, do my training anyway. Um, because all of that is preparation and build up and process for the big day that is going to get me to that goal of running this time that I'm looking to run. And it's so comparable. Um, okay. Well, before we just, I mean, I do feel that we can just continue speaking. I know. I love talking about I mean, (laughs) I don't do this very often, so I'm getting a double dose from Hope Writers last night and talking to you today. Um, and I actually might ask you some more questions later, but, um, but for now we got to get to the end of the podcast because I have to go pick up my son for preschool soon. (laughs) I know. I have to get mine too. (laughs) So end of the podcast, um, well, do you have any favorite authors or inspirations in the writing sense or just in general? Um, so since I finished my book, I can, you know, I, I spent, you know, two years reading mostly books related to my book. And then I have a lot of friends who are writers who came out with books. So I felt like I needed to read their books. Um, so I'm kind of getting to read whatever I want right now, which is just so great. So I love, um, you know, essays and nonfiction and memoir. Um, so, you know, I love Annie Dillard and, um, I'm reading Ann Patchett. Um, she has a book, you know, she usually writes fiction, but she has a book of nonfiction called, this is the story of a happy marriage, but it's all essays. Mm. And so I love it. Um, yeah. So some of my favorites are like Madeline Lingle. I love her, you know, her nonfiction and, um, yeah, I love, you know, Brennan Manning, you know, my husband and I are both readers and we'll do the thing where we, we get every book that a certain author has written. So we have, 
you know, every Henry Nowen. We have every oh, Brennan. That's cool. We have every Madeline Lingle, every Annie Dillard, you know. So um, those are the ones that I kind of go back to. And um, yeah, and I just read a great memoir called um, Deep Creek. Mm-hmm. And I think it was interesting to me because she lives in Colorado. It's by Pam Houston. And her, she's just a beautiful writer. And so she lives uh, half the year on a ranch in Colorado. And so I just loved the way she described Colorado and living here. I'm like, Oh, I wish I could write that way, you know, about where I live. Oh, yeah, totally. I well, I, I love a good memoir suggestion that isn't one that's like, everyone's already heard of or read so I will love to check check that one out yeah yeah it's she's just I think you'll appreciate the writing um Mm -hmm. just the writing style is really beautiful so all right if you could have a dinner or drinks with any celebrity who would it be and why so I don't know I'm so not into celebrities (laughs) or I guess anybody anybody yeah well that's what my husband's like just say a writer so I would say because Annie Dillard is still alive, I would want to have dinner with her. She's kind of a recluse, I think, and doesn't uh-huh. do interviews or anything. And so I would love to just sit down with her and talk about writing and the writing life. And um, yeah, or or like if, if it could be someone, did you say living or dead or they have to be living? Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Or like Madeline Lingle, because I love her. She's Her book, Walking on Water, has influenced me in my writing life more than any other book. And so I would love to just talk to her about, you know, the intersection between being, you know, a Christian and faith and then writing and art and just all that plays into that. Um, I just love a lot of her thoughts about that. So I'm pretty nerdy. So <laughs> I'm no, not- this is all actually making me like want to go on a writer's retreat. Oh, like, I know, I you know, it. there's that like Tuscany writer's retreat that some yes. people go on. And every time someone talks about it, I'm like, so jealous because I know that that isn't going to be happening for me anytime soon. And, um, well, and I've been write, reading about all these writers who get these fellowships yeah, and oh, they yes. get like paid to go and write for, you know, Anne Patchett. That's what her first novel she got. She went and for eight months by herself, got paid, oh my you gosh, know, to write. Yeah. And I'm like, well, shoot, I could come up with a novel. <laughs> Someone gave me an empty room I'm for trying eight to months get a and fellowship. gave me a stipend. I'm trying to get a fellowship right now, um, you know, in the more of like not in fiction writing, obviously, but yeah. in, in the uh, nonfiction and culture and faith political writing space, I'm working That's on cool. it. It's certainly not happened yet, but um, yeah, I think that'd be amazing. But I, I think that there's an opportunity and, and, and there, most people don't even realize that there are fellowships available. So that's a, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Okay. Last question. You've mentioned books, but I don't know if you have any other like recent books or books that you're reading, or I also love to hear what podcasts people enjoy. Um, yeah, I guess I've already been talking about my, all the books that I love. Um, well, and then I've been reading, well, I, and I have insomnia, so I've been reading a lot lately cause I, you know, I'm up in the middle of the night and I can't, you know, sleep. So I'm like, Quiet House book. It's a, it's insomnia is not that so bad, but yeah. So I just read, you know, I just mentioned those couple books, but podcasts. Honestly, I listen to a lot of podcasts about writing and mm-hmm. about um, lately about marketing my book because I've had to do a lot of marketing on my own, and so it was just kind of new to me. So um, you know, I've been listening to a podcast called Writers on Writing. Or the writer files. I love Ann Croker. I don't know if you listen to her. She's Ann Croker writer coach. So saw, if you're a writer, those are on Hope Writers. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I have a friend that has a great podcast called Mommin Ain't Easy. Uh-huh. And they just have some great guests. And 
it's not just a like a fluffy podcast about motherhood. It's they really talk about some important topics um, and they talk about mental health or they talk about, you know, how to be a mother when you, your mother didn't have a mother and didn't know how to mother you well. Like they get, they get into really deep things. They, they just had a great episode on friendship that I thought was great. So, um, I don't know. I have a ton of podcasts actually that I listen to, too. I have to be careful not to fill every, you know, every space that I have with noise, the noise it's of podcasts. Hard. Yeah. Cause I've, I'm tempted. I've kind of downsized a tad my podcast listening because um, I actually thought, oh, now that I'm home with my kids, like I'll be able to listen to more podcasts. And that has been the opposite. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I'm like, no. I can't listen to a podcast and like try to talk to them. It doesn't like work no. at all. <laughs> and I feel no. like I'm ignoring them. So I just have stopped. Yeah. I'll I'll do it in the car sometimes um, or, you know, it, it can be a motivator to fold your laundry or sweep your floor, you know, if yeah. you're like, oh, but I, actually that's how I've been inspiring myself to put on makeup in the morning. <laughs> yes. I'm like, if you put on makeup, you can listen to a podcast. And so, cause I actually, I would rather not wear makeup, but like, yeah, I I, you can. Yeah. I, I just realized yesterday for Hope Writers Night, like I always like, man, I really want to blow dry my hair and curl it. I was like, but what, and I'm always like, but what's the point? And it's like, takes yeah. time. And yeah. yesterday I was like, gosh darn it, I am going to blow dry my hair today because I just want my hair to look nice. And I swear it was the first time I've done it in like over two months. Oh, I believe it. No, we had a house guest and she's like, can I borrow your blow dryer? I'm like, I don't even know where it is. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, it's not like it looks bad when I don't, but like, I'm just, I'm not a super hair or makeup person in general. Plus in the summer, it can be, you know, if you're hot, I'm like, the last thing I want to do is blow dry my hair. Right, exactly. Anyway, we digress. (laughs) All right, Leslie. Well, I really do have to go, um, but I love talking with you, and I'm going to follow up with you um, on email because I have a couple more, like, writing inquiries just that I love (laughs) just my own personal curiosity. So thank you so much, and um, I just really appreciate your time and really appreciate your book. Well, thanks for listening today, everyone. I hope that episode sort of inspired you to take action um, and recognize when people are feeling lonely and in need of love, which by the way, all the time, I really encourage you to grab a copy of Leslie's book on Amazon and just check out that list we were talking about of all the things that you can do, just really simple stuff. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Let others know that you're enjoying the Worth Your Time podcast. That really helps just spread the word, word of mouth. Uh, Thank you so much for being here each week. If you're new, a special thank you and I hope to join you again next Tuesday. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.